Hi, welcome to episode 526 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, and I wonder what takes longer, me recording this podcast or you listening to it. Today, it's Fantastic Four 526 from June 2005, Dream Fever Part 2 by guest writer Carl Kessel and guest artist Tom Grummet. And we begin with someone describing a dream they had. It was night, in a castle, with cobblestone floors, and an angry mob in green, Dr. Doom-style cloaks, chasing the person who's dreaming this. They capture the person, screaming out, BURN THE DEVIL! And they tie this person up to a pole, and prepare to burn him, or her, at the stake for transgressions against God. They go to set fire to the wood around this person, but the wood breaks and the person falls down a well, and then the angry mob prepare to drop a giant weight down the well on top of the person. They're going medieval on this person. It's like real Alabama justice here. So they drop the big rock, everything goes black, and the dream is over. And back in the Baxter building, the person who had this dream is telling the Fantastic Four about it. And that person is... Alicia Masters. Something is going wrong and everyone is having everyone else's dreams. I think Alicia's real dreams are just about her touching people all over their bodies because, you know, for her art. She does it for artistic reasons. Don't judge her. Reed figures that Alicia's dreams are those of Diablo, who was hounded during the Spanish Inquisition, which leads Reed to believe that Diablo isn't responsible for this dream swapping. You know, I'd love to dream swap with somebody. Does anybody out there want to dream swap with me? I have to warn you, if you're afraid of armadillos, you might not want to swap dreams with me. But if you're cool with armadillos, you'll have a good time. Ben asks Reed if he has any way to solve the problem. Johnny snaps at Ben, telling him to back off of Reed and let him work. He's a bit agitated because of the dreams he's been having, and he's not getting a good night's sleep. And then Ben gets mad at Johnny, holding up his fist and saying, Give it a rest, flamehead, or I'll swear you'll rest in peace. Sue has to butt in with a force field to break them up to keep them from fighting. Sue points out that it'll be dawn soon, and since they won't let Diablo use their time machine, he'll soon be turning something else in the city into solid gold. Just then, we see Diablo waking up in bed after he's just had a bad dream. He immediately starts thinking about the Fantastic Four, calling them vile, cloying little creatures. And just then, a very weird moment. It appears that Diablo is normal. He's sleeping in his pajamas without his mask on. But then he says, I may as well slip out of my sleeping attire. And he pulls on his face and his face is a mask, like a Mission Impossible style mask, covering up his real face where he's wearing a Diablo mask. What? Can he not take his mask off? And why would he wear a mask to bed and then wear another mask over his mask? He just loves wearing masks. He's like crazy. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen in this book in all these years. Diablo wearing a mask to bed over his other mask. He also has fake skin over his arms and legs covering up his Diablo costume. He pulls out his Philosopher's Stone and once again pledges to get revenge on the people who tormented him a thousand years ago, even though they're all dead. He wants to go back in time and, and get revenge then. And he wants the EFF to let him use their time machine, 
but they won't agree to do that. So now, he's going to make them pay a price. Back at Fantastic Four headquarters, Sue is trying to tell Johnny to get some sleep, but Johnny's looking out the window at the sunrise, and then there's a blinding flash of light from outside. Back with Ben, he's convinced they picked up this sleep sickness in the microverse. And if you've ever read Micronauts, you know, they have some very powerful STDs in the microverse that cause dream switching. He wants to go back to the microverse to find a cure, but Ben is holding him back from the microverse vehicle. Sue and Johnny enter the room, with Sue saying, It's already happened! Sue turns on the external cameras, and they see that the entire Baxter building has been turned to gold. They get outside, and Reed asks Sue to put up a force field to keep back possible looters. Diablo arrives on a flying carpet. Always the coolest way to arrive to any event, so much better than an Uber. Johnny attacks first, but Diablo turns his flames into flying, flaming snakes that turn and slither through the air toward Ben. Oh crap, snakes made out of fire? That's like the two worst things ever combined into one. Sue puts up a force field to block the flames, and Reed intervenes, trying to get everyone to stop fighting saying they need to find a way to solve this dream-mixing problem together. This is news to Diablo, who says that explains his nauseating nightmare about children. I sure hope those are Sue's dreams. Diablo uses the Philosopher's Stone to verify what Reed has been saying, and sure enough, it detects an infection. He immediately uses the stone to cure his own infection, and when Reed asks to use the stone to cure everyone else, Diablo says that there has to be one condition. He needs to get into the Baxter building and use that time machine. But Johnny zips by, he grabs a stone, saying they can just take it. Diablo says it's not that easy, but Johnny replies that it is. Reed and Ben knock Diablo around, and then, with Diablo trapped outside Sue's force field, they rush back into the building to put the stone to work. Reed hooks up the stone to a machine and turns it on, and there's this loud whoosh noise and all the members of the Fantastic Four are knocked to the floor. And when they look up, Diablo is standing there, holding the stone, saying that his plan worked perfectly. Yeah, that was a great plan. I don't know what it was, but it worked. Reed figures that the stone allowed Diablo to penetrate the building's defenses. So basically, Diablo tricked them by allowing them to take the stone inside. Like any of us saw this coming, Ben asked. Well, there still was half an issue to go when Johnny took that stone, so it was obvious there would be complications. Johnny jokes that they're operating on two cylinders, and Diablo quips that he has hundreds of cylinders at his disposal. Does Diablo even know what Johnny's talking about? I don't think Diablo is much of a car kind of guy. He's more of a horse and buggy type, or flying carpet type. Reed floods the room with mist to keep Diablo disoriented. Won't that also disorient the FF as well? Reed says he's standing by the time machine, saying that Diablo will have to get by him to use it. Of course, this only helps Diablo find the time machine in the foggy room. He attacks Ben with a potion, which causes him to sink into the floor. Diablo activates the time machine and jumps on board. How does he even know how to operate the time machine? You would think it would be a little more complicated than just flicking on one switch and jumping aboard. And just like that, Diablo is gone. The FF gather around the machine, and Reed says the controls are perfectly set to send Diablo back to the Spanish Inquisition if this had been a time machine, but it is not. It is the 
interdimensional portal. They tricked Diablo and sent him to some other dimension instead. And all it took was Ben saying that he was standing beside the time machine, and Diablo jumped on board like an idiot. Reed says he recalibrated the portal to send Diablo to some unknown, uninhabited dimension. And when we see Diablo, he is not happy. No! He screams. This is not the Spanish Inquisition. Probably the first person to ever be upset that he's not in the Spanish Inquisition. How come the United States has never had an Inquisition, by the way? I think an American Inquisition would be awesome. Who doesn't love a good Inquisition? Chasing people around with pitchforks and torches? That would be so much fun. But then again, when I think about it, I would probably be most likely be the hunted and not the huntee. So let's scrub that idea. Later, Johnny's up on the roof by himself, lost in thought, when Sue sneaks up behind him. Wouldn't it be terrible to have a sister like that, who turns invisible and sneaks up on you? She tells Johnny that the stone has cured everyone of the dream fever, even though we see that Diablo took the stone with him, so I'm not sure how that works. Johnny says he's going to get some much needed sleep. Sue mentions that she's noticed that Johnny has been avoiding her lately. She tells Johnny to picture this. He's walking down some ordinary suburban street, and he comes across an old girlfriend of his, Dory, who says that she's been waiting for him while he's off traveling the world. She says, I thought you liked me. I do. I did, he says. Then Crystal shows up, and she says, I thought you loved me. That was a lie. And then Elijah the Scroll appears, saying that he married her, and she thought that meant something, that they'd be together forever. You don't understand, Johnny tells her. Then several more ex-girlfriends appear, including Frankie Ray. One girl kind of looks like the wizard's daughter. And then there's a lady with leaves in her hair? I don't know who that is. And what about that slutty race car groupie from the 1970s, or, or Sharon, the chick with the big glasses? Well anyway, Johnny tells them that they don't understand. You don't understand what I can do to you, he says, as he sets them on fire. Back on the roof, in reality, Sue continues this story. That was one of Johnny's recurring dreams that Sue had when they were switched up. She says that he knew that she was having a dream about a part of himself that he didn't want anyone to know about, which is why he's been avoiding her. That doesn't sound like such a personal dream. Johnny's like, um, sure, whatever. She asks him how, how many times he's had that dream, and he replies, too many. She goes on to say that she never knew the reason that Johnny has never had a girlfriend very long is because he is secretly afraid he'll hurt them. Oh, come on. What a load of BS. There is absolutely no reason to come up with some stupid psychological reason why Johnny hasn't settled down. There are usually pretty good reasons why Johnny's relationships haven't worked out. Crystal had that illness and she had to go back to Attilan. Frankie became the Herald of Galactus. Lyja turned out to be a scroll. Some of these girls were just plain boring and they had to be gotten rid of. None of these relationships ended because Johnny was afraid he'd burn them. There's no psychological reason why Johnny is afraid to commit. I mean, he did get married, for crying out loud. He's not afraid to let anyone get close. Actually, Johnny may have the reverse problem. He meets a girl, falls in love immediately, and gets too close too quickly. If he really had a fear of commitment, he would be banging a different supermodel every night instead of trying to date anyone at all. Oh, Carl Kessel, you really missed Mark on this one. Johnny tells Sue he's going to bed and leaves the roof. Later, Sue and Reed are getting ready for bed. Reed takes his robe off, and he's got the, uh, the full granddad pajamas on, 
Sue says, it looks like Diablo was having her dreams, and he did not enjoy them. Reed isn't sure who had his dreams, but Sue says that she pities whoever had those dreams filled with blackboards of indecipherable equations. Reed says he dreams about other stuff too. He dreams about his wants and his desires, and he turns off the lights to show her exactly what kind of stuff he dreams about. And that is the end of the issue. A decent enough two-parter by the guest team of Tom Grummet and uh, Carl Kessel. Tom Grummet always does a great job. I really like his artwork. I'm surprised he's never actually been hired as the regular artist on the Fantastic Four. The story was okay, although I feel like Diablo's motivation for wanting the time machine to go back in time and torment people who have been dead for a thousand years, that's very, very weak. I like the stuff about the dream switching a little bit more, although the conclusion about what Johnny's dreams mean is really pushing it, and it makes no sense, really. And subjecting a toddler like Valeria to Ben Grimm's dreams is kind of a cop-out. She's not going to understand 90% of the crazy stuff in his dreams. So that's all for now. Coming next time, the debut of a new creative team. Time to switch up the opening music. Plus, I've never read the Straczynski issues before, so I'm excited to see how bad they are. Or maybe good, but probably bad. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott, at podcastff. You can download other episodes of iTunes and find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. When the pimp's in the crib, ma, drop it like it's hot, drop it like it's hot, drop it like it's hot. When the pigs try to get at you, park it like it's hot, park it like it's hot, park it like it's hot. And if a get an attitude, pop it like it's hot, pop it like it's hot, pop it like it's hot. I got the rollie on my arm and I'm pouring Sean Don and I'm over best because I got it going on. I'm a nice dude with some nice dreams. See these ice cubes, see these ice creams, eligible bachelor.